We're in a series called The Power of We. The Power of We. And, and let me remind you that we're talking about the power of God that is released in me when me becomes we. And this week I want to talk to you about the power of connecting. The power of connecting. Now, I brought something with me just as a little illustration here. Anyone know what this is? What? What do we call it? An extension cord or a power cord. Okay. How much power does it have in it right now? None. Why? It's not connected. Not good for anything. And that's it. Listen to me. We're extension cords. We have no power at all until we connect with God. None. And what I want to talk to you about today, I want to give you three ways that we connect with God. All right? Three ways. Here's number one. His people. His people. Look at Psalm 133, verse 1. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil, oil represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit, upon the head running down. Notice we're going to see this description in, in another form also in this chapter. Running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, that represents the priesthood, running down on the edge of his garments. In other words, it gets to everyone who's in unity. It is like the dew, dew represents his provision, the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. Notice flowing down the mountains. For there, now watch this phrase, it's very important. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Not there he released the blessing, but that's where he commands a blessing. When I can get my people to dwell together in unity, I will command a blessing. And the anointing and the provision of God flows freely. It's possible that if there's any hindrance to the anointing or the provision of God in your life, it's possible it could be because there's not a connection with his people. God created us for connection. For relationship, well, let's say it this way, connection. He created us to connect with Him and His people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, connect with me, God says, and connect with my people. And there is an exponential power released when we connect with God's people. Let me just remind you of a scripture. One can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. That's exponential. One can put a thousand, but if you'll just join with someone else who's joined to God, two of you can put ten thousand to flight. A threefold cord, the Bible says, is not easily broken. One fold is, twofold, but not threefold. There's got to be a connection with God's people. And, and I, as a pastor, I've got such a burden when I talk with people, when I see people going through difficulties... I'm always wondering, are they connected? Are they attending only, or are they connected with God's people? Notice again also that this anointing flows down. It flows from the head, which is Jesus, the beard, 
of Aaron, which represents the priests, or the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, the leaders of the church, flows all the way down to every person. Now, we're talking about Project 114, and in two weeks, we're going to make commitments. Here's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see every person in Gateway make a commitment. Why? Because I'd like for the anointing to flow. I'd like for the provision of God to flow. Not for the church, like an organization, but for the church. Every person of God. Every time in my life that I've made a commitment when the church was expanding, and not just this church, but the church I was a member of before I came here, every time I can see God's commanded blessing on my life. Why? Because I joined with, the other, with other people of God. There is a power that's released when a church galvanizes around the God-given vision. And moves as one person. Even the church in Acts were told they were all in one accord. When they were in unity, that's when the power of God was released. Now, um, as I said a moment ago, every elder, let me, let me clarify this. Every elder, every elder believes it's time to build now. There's not a doubt. There's not a, a, a wavering. And I know that there's a little bit of economic problem going on in our nation. <laughs> now, I know it's big. And I know that many of you have been affected by it. Thursday, a little over a week ago, when the president, after Wednesday night, used the word recession, and I think he should have. He was truthful and honest with our, our country on Thursday morning, I got up in my quiet time, and I wasn't saying it, but I was. And you've had quiet times like this. I wasn't saying it, but here's what I was thinking, and I don't know if you know, but God can read thoughts. <laughs> and I was thinking, what are you doing? What? You led every elder, every one of us, in a meeting together last December that this fall would be the time we'd start the building project. And you knew this was coming. What are, you, what are you doing? I mean, I wasn't saying it, you know. I was saying, you know, bless people and things like that. But I was <laughs> thinking this. And the Lord just spoke, you know, one of those again. He just said to me, I'm going to get the glory for this. Amen. Just like that. I'm going to get the glory. Think about the testimony. When we move into that building two years from now, we say, remember when we started it? <laughs> remember? During probably the biggest economic crisis of most of our lives, and we stepped out and we made a faith, a commitment in faith. It had to be faith. And look what God did. One of the retired pastors in our church, we have several one of the retired pastors in our church sent me a, an email on that day. And um, let me just read it to you. In 1974, this is from Jim Morrison, a pastor in our retired pastor in our church. In 1974, as pastor of Evangel Temple in Grand Prairie, the congregation voted to build. And the deacons joined me in cutting our wrists, so to speak, to enter into a fundraising program to build. Two days before the launch of the fundraising program, there was a gas crisis, and people were waiting in lines to fill their cars. You all remember that, 1974? 
Come on, more of you. You remember that, right? <laughs> my phone began to ring, 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 putting fear in my mind and heart, saying, let's hold off the launch on Sunday. It was Friday. Two days. This sent me to praying and getting a word from God. As I was desperately asking for a word from God, I opened my living Bible and my eyes fell on this verse, Ecclesiastes 11.4. If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. <laughs> yes, we launched. We built with tests. But 18 months later, we entered the 1,000-seat sanctuary onward and forward. Isn't that a good letter? So we've got to connect with God's people. Here's the second thing to release the power of God in our lives. His presence. His presence. Now, Genesis 28, this is a whole story about Jacob connecting with the presence of God. But here's what just part of it says, all right? Genesis 28, verse 15. Behold, I am with you. This is God talking to him. And some of you need to hear this today. Behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. He called the place Bethel, which means house of God. What made it the house of God? Listen carefully. The presence of God. Church is not church without the presence of God. And I have been in church before when God's presence wasn't there, and I don't want to ever go back. I had an encounter with God tonight during the worship, right down there on the front row. I entered into His presence, talked with Him. He talked with me. That's what church is about. If you're coming and just singing songs, you're missing church. And it's not even the most important part of church, by the way. It's not what I say. It's what He says. It's what God says to you. It's an encounter with God. It's His manifest presence. Now, let me explain to you His manifest presence. The Bible speaks of His omnipresence. That means He's all-present or present everywhere. The Bible speaks of His inner presence. That means He's present within us when we get saved. But the Bible also speaks of His manifest presence. The best definition I know of that of the word manifest would be made known. Made known. God speaks of His made known presence. If, if I said to you, there's a multi-billionaire in the service today. Well, who cares? Who cares that he's in the service? But if the multi-billionaire got up and announced himself and then began to give to every person here $10 million, that would be manifesting his presence. And it would be okay with us. Manifesting His presence is when God gets up, announces His presence, and begins to give to each person here something that only God can provide. That's the manifest presence of God. That is our desire at Gateway Church, that every person would have an encounter with God every time we gather. Two weeks ago, um, on a Sunday night, we had our habitation service. 
And I'd preached four times that weekend, and some stuff had kind of moved through the area, and I was having problems with my sinuses. I was tired. I was drained. Um, and I was thinking, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go to the habitation service tonight or not because I'm just too tired. I was thinking I'm, I'm tired. I had a headache. <coughs> Cowboys were playing. I, I was tired. <laughs> I had a headache. <coughs> And then I thought to myself, you know, I need to connect with God tonight. I, I, need, I need to be refreshed. And I'm going to go to the service, not like the pastor of the church, but like a, a, a Christian, a believer. And whether anyone else there connects with God, I'm going to connect with God because I need to connect with God. So I came, sat right down there on the front row, and the presence of God just stepped in to that service. And he began to make his presence known, and he began to just minister to people. Well, I mean, his presence was so strong, I started to lift my hands up. Now, let me tell you something. Most of you know, a, a little over a year ago, I had that accident, completely shattered the shoulder. They had to take bone from another part of my body to rebuild the shoulder socket, and they had to put pins and screws in it and, you know, reattach the whole labrum. Was, the doctor said to me, you know, it, it was uh, it, you tore your labrum by 360 degrees. I remember saying... There aren't any more degrees, are there? <laughs> so I went through eight months of physical therapy, uh, going every week. I went more doing at home, but it, it was just it just wasn't doing it. As a matter of fact, the only, the only as high as I could lift my arm was right here. I looked like John McCain when I waved. <laughs> now, let me let me say something. You know, I do I do not mean that disrespectful disrespectfully because the reason he can't lift his arms is because of men and women like him who've made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. So, I do not mean that disrespectfully. I I, I hurt every time I see him, you know, because uh, it just hurts me to under, to know what he went through for our country. But point is, I couldn't go higher than that right there. So I lifted my hands up like this, and when I'd get right there, there'd be a restriction, and, there, and it would be painful. And I had my hands like this, and there was no pain. This was two weeks ago. And I, I thought, I'm going to raise my arms higher. And I really thought, and then it'll start hurting. That's really what I was thinking. And I went up like this, and there was no pain. And there was no restriction. And I just kept raising my arms up like this. Until I was standing completely like this. And I remember, I remember, I was thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. And then I remember saying, Lord, that's probably not a good word, is it, God? But I can't think of another word. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, let me, let me tell you what happened. I wasn't praying for it. I wasn't even believing. I didn't even believe it when it happened. It was a charismaton. Let me tell you what a charismaton is. That's the Greek word for a gift of grace. It was just a grace gift. God just showed up, and what I needed, He gave me. But He gave it to me, listen, because I connected with Him. You understand? I just made a connection, and the power of God was there. Please, please, please hear me. We have to connect with God's presence. We have to. Here's the third Connection we have to make. His purpose. The power of God will never, hear this, will never be released in your life until you connect with His, presence, His purpose. Never. 
Now, God has an individual purpose for every person in the world. He has an individual purpose for your life. But, listen to me carefully, He also has a universal purpose for every person in the world. A universal purpose. Now, listen to me. You will never, ever discover and walk in your individual purpose until you discover and walk in God's universal purpose for your life. It's very important. And, and let me just give you a very simple illustration. The first universal purpose he has for every person in the world is to get saved. That's to, to accept his son. So you're never going to find your individual purpose. And you understand, most every person in the world, that's what they're looking for. What's my purpose? Why am I here? You will never, ever, ever connect to God's individual will for your life. His purpose for your life until you connect with his universal purpose. First is to get saved. Here's the second one, though, to lay your life down for the kingdom. Until we lay our lives down for the kingdom of God, we'll never discover our individual purpose for God. Let, let me read you a scripture here. Romans eight twenty eight. We all know this scripture, but let's just look at it in the, in the light of this. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to His purpose. His universal purpose. Could we say this another way? Everything's going to work for good to those who love God and have accepted the call for His universal purpose. Is it possible that there are some things that aren't working for good? Uh, we, we, we use this as a catch-all scripture. Something happens, we say, well, brother, it'll work for your good. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if there are some things that are happening in our lives that um, it wasn't God's best. But the reason they're happening is because we're trying to fulfill our purpose and not his purpose. You do understand that you were created for God. God was not created for you. Don't you? <laughs> And until we recognize that and move in that and understand that God has a purpose for my life, but it's not just an individual purpose, it's a universal purpose. Until we understand that, we're in trouble. The power of God will not be released. The, the, the New Testament church, most powerful church that we know of to ever be on the face of the earth, obviously the church is going to get more and more powerful in the end times, and we're entering into that. And I'm grateful for that. But when you looked at the New Testament church, let me just show you the three things that they did. It talks over and over and over again about the unity they had. They were in connection with God's people. It talked about how there was a sense of awe and there were signs and wonders happening every day among them. They were connected with His presence. And it also talked about how they even sold things and laid the money down at the apostles' feet because they were connected to God's purpose. These three things. They were connected to God's people, God's presence, and God's purpose. If you want the power of God to flow in your life, please hear me. You've got to do this. You've got to connect with God. And here's three ways we connect with Him. Now, in two weeks, two weeks from today, this, the two weeks from this weekend... We're, I'm asking every member of the church, every person that attends, 
to make a three-year financial commitment. The only way you can make a three-year financial commitment with the economy like it is, is faith. That's it. Here's the great thing, though. God knows what's going to happen in the next three years. The government does it, by the way. We do need to make some changes in our government. We do need to make changes. I do believe that. But you do understand the economic crisis we have right now is because we have a spiritual crisis. That's the reason. But I want you to pray about it. And I want you to do, I want you to make a realistic faith commitment. In other words, I want you to look at your budget. I want it to be realistic. Don't make a commitment based on winning the lottery. Okay? And I, I, Personally, I feel like I'm going to win the lottery. I do. The reason I, I, now I've never bought a ticket, but my chances are about the same. I've, I've looked at them. <laughs> but make a realistic look at your budget. I've done this. I've done it many, many times. And God's always blessed and always provided. Make a realistic faith commitment for you. Every family in the church. And then I want to ask you to pray with me about some Large commitments. Some of you could make a large commitment. Some of you could give a hundred thousand or two hundred and fifty or five hundred or a million or whatever. Some of you have the resources to whom much is given, much is required. And if you've never made an extravagant commitment, realistic but extravagant, I'm telling you it'll change your life. Because I've done it many, many times. And you know that. But I'm praying for some large commitments. And here's what I want. I want the whole church to pray with me. And don't uh, do this right here. Grab your hands like this. Put your seatbelt on so you don't fall out of your chair right now. Okay? There aren't many people in the category I'm about to say. But some of you are. I'm asking God for a $10 million commitment. I told you not to fall out of your chair. A $10 million commitment. Two $5 million commitments. Three $3 million commitments and ten $1 million commitments. Now, now listen to me. That's 16 families, and that's $39 million. That's over half our budget right there. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray about two things. I want you to pray, first of all, about what commitment God wants you to make. Secondly, I want you to pray for the people that do have large resources that God has given to them, to hear and also make the commitment God speaking to them. But I want you to make whatever a large commitment is you. $15,000 would be basically $100 a week. Basically for three years. I can remember when our family was not making hardly anything and we had decided to save $100 a week for a new home. And so at the end of three years, we'd have $15,000, $10,000 for a down payment, $5,000 for uh, closing costs and all that sort of thing. And when I made, I said, I'm, I'm, we're going to say, we, we had, this was after we had given our home away. Many of you know we gave our first home away, and we were in a rent home. So Debbie and I looked at our budget, and we said, if we tighten up, we can save $100 a week for a new home. And we'll have 15000 in three years. Right after that, the church where I was attending announced a three-year campaign. As soon as they said three years, I went, mm. as I knew. I knew what we had in our budget, what we could do. It would be realistic, but it would still be a stretch. So we made that commitment. Not long after we made that commitment, 
a lady came to us and said, have you heard about this home over here that's for sale? And she told us where it was, and we said, we just drove by that home. That'd be a great home. She said, well, um, my real estate lady, we don't need it, but my real estate lady told me you can buy it for no money down. We went and looked at it. It was what we needed for our family, great neighborhood, and it was true. They had some deal, no money down. Then, when we went to buy the home, they, they looked at the appliances and all that, and they didn't want uh, someone to go in there and then air conditioners break and things like that and then not be able to make the payments. So they started replacing the air conditioners and then the appliances and then the carpet and then the paint. And we went, went to closing. The lady given it doing the closing said, I, I've seen them do stuff before, but it's normally in the one to $2,000 range, maybe even 3000 She said, you're, you're not even going to believe the amount they spent on your home. And I said, I can tell you. Anyone want to take a guess? I said 15000 She said, that's exactly right. This has happened to me over and over and over again. And some of you might think, well, but you're special. Ask Debbie. That's not true. No, I'm not. I tell you why it happens over and over again, because we step out in faith over and over again. And all of you are going to have the chance to have a testimony. All of you are going to have the chance to have a testimony. So I want you to begin praying right now and connect with God, connect with his people, connect with his presence and connect with his purpose. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.